And if you have a Bible, you can open to the book of Amos. We're looking at chapter 8 this morning, Amos chapter 8. Um, might just be in Amos for one more week um, as we look at chapter 9. I'm not sure whether we're going to cover it in one week or two yet, so um, be on the lookout for something new starting, something refreshing uh, and uh, uplifting, whereas Amos has been uh, pretty heavy duty, at least for me. So um, we're in Amos just for a couple more weeks. Um, Amos chapter 8. Let me pray and then we'll read the scripture. Jesus, you said that um, those who trust in you, those who turn to you for satisfaction and for life will have springs and streams of living water flowing from them, from their hearts. And we know that that's true as you send your spirit to dwell in us. And we pray for your spirit to dwell in us and among us now and to change our hearts, to convict us and to assure us of your love. Um, as we come to your word, we pray for your help in your name. Amen. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, a basket of summer fruit, things like figs and pomegranates. And he said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people Israel. This means that the time is ripe. These fruits are ripe. The time is ripe for Israel. The end has come upon my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The songs of the temple shall become wailings in that day, declares the Lord God. This is what their songs become. So many dead bodies, they're thrown everywhere. Silence. Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, when will the new moon be over so that we may sell grain again? And the Sabbath, that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great and deal deceitfully with false balances, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the chaff of the wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their deeds. Shall not the land tremble on this account and everyone mourn who dwells in it and all of it rise like the Nile and be tossed about and sink again like the Nile of Egypt. And on that day, declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I will make it like the morning for an only son and the end of it like a bitter day. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. In that day, the lovely virgins and the young men shall faint for thirst. Those who swear by the guilt of Samaria and say, As your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives, they shall fall and never rise again. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> so I don't know where uh, you are this morning with your faith, whether you're a Christian or not, um, whether you engage in discussions about Christianity as a Christian or as a, a non-Christian, um, but a fairly common topic in apologetic conversations, 
these, these days is, um, is a debate over the, the basis or the grounds for morality, right? Um, is there any real basis for believing in a system of ethics apart from believing in God and what he has revealed, what he has told us uh, regarding ethics? And there are... Um, there are some brutally honest people who uh, reject the faith, who oppose the faith, who acknowledge that uh, without God and his word, um, we really have no grounds for making moral claims, not absolute ones, not universal ones anyway, uh, claims about right and wrong, justice and injustice. Uh, like Nietzsche, they affirm that if there is no supreme lawgiver, then we can appeal to uh, no basis for a supreme law and that and morality is kind of a social illusion uh, constructed for the survival of the fittest. And the end result of this is that power is the only thing that really matters, right? That the one with the most power is able to enforce his preferences. And it doesn't really matter uh, whether others suffer for it or not. Um, some other people who also oppose the faith are also honest in a way, and they acknowledge that uh, this is a hideous thought that makes life completely unbearable, right? No one can live this way. The philosophers who espouse those ideas, they go insane and they kill themselves. So uh, these others, they, they look for other grounds for universal moral claims, right? Um, philosophically, but lately they're looking for... Um, a basis for morality, a basis for justice in biology. They say uh, they have a sense that there is such a thing as justice and injustice, that the world can't possibly function without it, and they're desperately looking for a way to justify that belief, even by saying that morality is just simply built into us at a genetic level. Right? Um, but ultimately, these arguments fail to provide us with a, a reason for ethics. So what if we all have an innate sense that it's wrong to open fire on a mass of people in a movie theater? So what if our genes tell us that such a thing is evil or unjust? If I don't feel like obeying our collective DNA, well, you have no reason, no compelling reason for a complaint against my behavior. You can try to appeal to some kind of common morality that's based on biology or something, but so what? Right? Maybe my particular DNA led me to violate the sense of justice that you derive from your particular DNA and led me to abuse you or oppress you or enslave you. Right? Or maybe my superior genetics allowed me to pull a fast one on you and your inferior genetics and cheat you in a business deal. Right? Or maybe my DNA enabled me to kill all your children which went um, straight against the survival of your strand of DNA. Who's to judge between us? Biology? You might not appreciate what I did, but you can't appeal to a universal authority to bring justice into the situation. Right? Uh, we need a transcendent basis for our sense of justice, or else we have... No reason to hope that there even is such a thing as justice. Whatever sense of right and wrong we might have would really just be uh, personal preference, which is unenforceable.
Some of us are very happy to jettison the concept of justice altogether because we don't like the idea of being accountable for our injustices. We like that Nietzschean idea of I'm powerful enough to get what I want, to exert my sense of morality over and against your sense of morality. I'm perfectly okay with that. I don't need this uh, supreme justice to appeal to. At some level, that's all of us, really. And we see this attitude in our text in verses 4 through 6. It's the ones who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end say, When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great and deal deceitfully with false balances that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the chaff with the wheat. So this is the oppression of the weak by the strong. right? And in this example, merchants were selling too little grain. Their... um, their ephah, their measure of uh, how much grain they were going to sell, was a bit smaller than it should have been um, for too much money, right? They weigh in the balances the silver, and they've got a shekel that is, uh, weighs a little too much so that you've got to pile a little bit more money on to match the price that uh, is the going rate, right? In, um, in this example, merchants were, the, the wealthy were controlling the market costs of basic necessities of life. And the poor day laborers had no choice but to pay unfair prices. The poor frequently had to borrow money for things like sandals. And when they um, failed to, you know, kind of tread water with their debts, even their trivial debts, the rich would take advantage of that and sell them into slavery. Um, They treated the poor as as means rather than as ends, objects to be taken advantage of in the pursuit of greater wealth for themselves. Uh, Commentator Gordon Ketty says that uh, Israel was less a society and more a food chain. Less a society, more a food chain. Uh, The poor weren't people who needed help and who deserved justice. They were commodities to be exploited. And we live this way when we have a transactional view of relationships, right? Uh, what can I get out of this person? How can I manipulate this person to get what I want? How can this uh, business relationship benefit me? How can this romantic relationship benefit me? How can this parenting relationship benefit me? We do this personally, uh, individually, in daily life. And we've got entire societal structures built to be able to do it corporately. Uh, We use other people and we commit injustice every time we do it. Because we're breaking the law of God. We're not loving our neighbor as we love ourselves and esteeming them as even higher than ourselves. And who's going to tell us that that's wrong? Who is going to tell us that that's wrong? Who's going to inform us, the strong that we have violated justice? Who is going to keep us accountable for our abuse of power? Biology? God? You'll notice that the unjust Israelites in our text, they paid him lip service. They showed up at the religious uh, festivals and feasts. They showed up at the regularly scheduled uh, morning worship 
Sabbath uh, times, right? They, but they couldn't wait to get out of there and back to their extortion. When is this going to be done so I can get back to exploiting people? Right? God's holy word, which demanded justice in their relationships, obviously had no impact on them in their dealing with other people. Uh, functionally, they had no basis for their ethics, no grounds for morality, and so they were unethical and immoral, uh, corrupt and unjust. And without God's word at work in their hearts at a deep level, there was nothing to prevent this view of other people as commodities, nothing to prevent injustice. And they wanted to believe that they weren't accountable to any ultimate justice, that the, the, the simple worldview of uh, survival and prosperity of the fittest that they wanted to believe in legitimated their immorality, their injustice. But God swore, surely I will never forget any of their deeds. And he declared that on the day of their judgment, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. So that's um, pretty standard uh, kind of language in the Old Testament, in the prophets especially. It's apocalyptic language that the ancient Israelites would have recognized as uh, figurative and symbolic. God was saying that his righteous wrath would descend upon injustice in such a cataclysmic way that their worlds would be turned upside down and inside out. Their feasts would be turned to mourning, their songs into lamentation. They would be held accountable to justice. And it would be severe. And what form would their judgment take? Most of Amos' prophecy um, that we've looked at so far puts it in terms of the Assyrian invasion of, um, of the Israelites being killed or carried away into captivity, into exile by Assyria. But listen to the way God speaks of their judgment here. In verse 11, he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. So the people had... um, disregarded God's holy word, the word that brings life, that brings peace with God, that brings a restoration of justice into the world. They, they wanted to remove God and remove his word from the equation of their lives, and so in judgment, he gave them exactly what they wanted. He withdrew the only grounds for true justice in their relationships, the self-revelation of God, the disclosure of his will, and his law. And the scriptures say that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The word of God sustains us. It gives us meaning. It gives us truth. It gives us guidance. It is the only foundation that we have for making sense of this world. Without it, there is nothing to prevent injustice. Nothing to prevent despair. Nothing to persuade us of any moral view other than the nihilistic one. No hope for anything better than chance and chaos in this world. The survival of the fittest. 
If you uh, wish that God's word would just go away and leave you alone, you should be careful what you wish for. Gordon Ketty again says, human societies owe much more than they realize to the presence in their midst of the word of God. If God in his judgment were to remove all trace of his word from us, from our society, this would be a terrible, terrible place. You cannot live apart from God's truth. Some of you may have tried this and you're probably parched. You ever get that sense that uh, you're missing something but don't quite know what it is? You may well have an undiagnosed longing, a thirst for the famine of God's truth in your life. Uh, Many of us have a longing for the world to be set right, don't we? For wars to cease, for peace on earth, for love and justice to win the day. To use Jesus' language, we hunger and thirst for righteousness. We sense that there's something wrong with our selfishness with the commoditization of people, with transactional relationships, with the injustice of society's structures and the way people manipulate and exploit one another. We sense that there's something wrong, and we sense not just that there's something wrong with all of this, but we have a sense that it should be set right, and we hope that it will be set right. And God's word, the only hope that this world has for true justice promises that it will be set right on the day when he makes the sun go down at noon and darkens the earth in broad daylight on the day when he punishes injustice and sets free the oppressed on the day when he brings justice into the world which was a day 2,000 years ago the day when his son hung on the cross the day when Jesus died and uh, suffered and died for our sins, the injustices that we have committed. Like the thief on the cross, we deserve the just reward for our penalty. We deserve to be there. And Jesus did not deserve that, but he suffered it for us in order to make everything between us and God right. To bring injustice and turn it into justice. And um, through the sacrifice of his son, God has set things right between you and himself if your faith is in Jesus Christ. And if you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ, you need to do that. And uh, you need to come and talk to me or talk to a Christian uh, friend or family member of yours about that. But God has set things right between you and himself. He has brought justice into your relationship. All the obstacles that your injustice present as a barrier to your relationship with God, God has removed those barriers by uh, the fact that his son suffered the righteous wrath of God in your place. And he's guaranteed that uh, one day his justice will finally and fully overwhelm the whole earth, that every wrong will be made right, that every unrighteous person will suffer the penalty for his unrighteousness, and that everyone who is clothed in the righteousness of Christ will live forever to enjoy the world as it was meant to be. It's a new heavens and a new earth characterized by perfect justice. 
What does that mean? What does that look like? Uh, we can hardly imagine. Uh, Miroslav Volf says in his book, um, Exclusion and Embrace, he says, a world of perfect justice is a world of love. It's a world with no rules in which everyone does what he or she pleases and all are pleased by what everyone does. It's a world of no basic rights because there are no wrongs from which to be protected. A world of no legitimate entitlements because everything is given and nothing withheld. A world with no equality because all differences are loved in their own appropriate way. A world in which just desserts plays no role because all actions stem from superabundant grace. God's word promises that this world, this perfect world of justice and love, which is hard for us to imagine, he promises that this world is yours as you place your faith in Jesus Christ, the righteous. You have a place in that world of perfect justice. So show your longing for that world. Show your allegiance to that world in this life as you let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream, as Amos says earlier in his book. That's what you're called to as a citizen of the coming kingdom of righteousness. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we know we have um, many unexamined presuppositions in the way that we um, think about this world and think about you, think about things like right and wrong and justice. Um, we pray that you would help us to examine those presuppositions and that you would build us upon the one foundation that is sure and true, that you have declared what is righteous and that you are in the world uh, working uh, by your spirit and you have been in the world working through your son to uh, make right all the things that are wrong in this world, to bring righteousness, perfect and complete righteousness out of all of our unrighteousness. Uh, you are a glorious God. We pray that you would help us to put our faith in you, to trust you for the work that you're doing, to bring justice where there is none, and we thank you for having brought justice into our relationship and not having uh, struck us down in your justice, but having struck your own son in our place so that we could have a relationship with you that's uh, restored and that one day will be finally and forever restored in perfection. We look forward to that day and pray that until then you would uh, constantly be shaping our minds by your word, shaping our hearts and our actions by your perfect law. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.